Austin and I are blessed to be uh, continuing on in our Messy Stories of Faith series, and we'll be looking at the story of Gideon tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Judges uh, chapter 6. We'll be in Judges 6 and 7 in just a few minutes. And, you know, one of the things about this series is it's all about the mess. And Gideon is someone who not only himself is a mess, and we're going to be talking about that uh, a little bit, but he comes into just a terrible uh, situation, one that uh, ultimately kind of uh, builds on his own state of inner turmoil. Um, And as we begin looking at uh, chapter 6, you know, just try to put yourself in his shoes uh, for a minute. Just try to think about uh, the state of Israel at this point. And if you're familiar with the book of Judges, we know over and over uh, the description is that, you know, they're in a place where evil abounds and they're in a place in which, you know, real depravity exists. And each one of the judges comes at this depravity uh, in a different way as a representative for God. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, let's read chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and they did not spare a living thing or Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says I brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And what the prophet of the Lord says, you know, really fits with this pattern that's happening over and over uh, in the book of Judges. If you'll go to the next slide. Uh, if you were to read the book of Judges, you'd see this cycle of sin uh, over and over in which Israel serves the Lord, uh, and then Israel falls away, uh, and then someone oppresses the nation of Israel, and then they cry out, and then God raises up a judge, and again, Israel is delivered, and over and over we see this pattern of you know, finding God and then uh, forgetting Him, and finding God and then forgetting about uh, what He has done for them. And so Israel's in this messy state. Uh, they're a nation in captivity. You know, it speaks about the people uh, being there as locusts, right? Uh, I know when too many people are in my house, I'm ready to leave, right? Uh, can you imagine what it would be like to have your oppressors described as locusts? Uh, we see that they're in a place of economic uh, and agricultural crisis. And they, again, have started uh, practicing idolatry. They've, again, began worshiping other gods besides the god Uh, of Israel. And so, you know, this is where we are introduced to Gideon, and Austin's going to introduce us to him tonight. If you'll go to the next slide for me. 
Uh, one of the main things that we're going to be looking at today, especially in Gideon's messy story of faith, is God's ability to see us in ways that we can't see ourselves. Um, I know a lot of times in our own personal lives, we can't really see ourselves as warriors, much like Gideon couldn't. Uh, and that's one of the really cool things about this story is that neither could he. Um, if you'll go with me now to Judges chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not the one sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I think a lot of us can really connect with these verses because we couldn't possibly see ourselves uh, delivering God's chosen people from oppressors of over seven years, especially when we are seen as weak and least of the chosen nation. One of the main things that this passage really brought up for me is uh, being a warrior for God, especially having grown up in this church. I think we did a VBS on it a couple years ago or something like that, but the phrase warrior for God has definitely been thrown around a lot. Uh, I can't imagine if I was visited by an angel of the Lord and the angel saying to me, hey, Austin, I'm going to have you go lead these people into the battle and don't worry about it. I got you. I would be very much questioning the angel's decision process and who he was choosing. But that's really the cool thing about this whole story is that God calls us to fight our own battles. He calls us to, to stand up and to fight for what is true and for him. And he asks us to do it with the same courage of, uh, of that of Gideon. Uh, the angel of the Lord tells Gideon in verse 14, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not the one sending you? In a nation overrun by false idols, God takes the least of the nation and has him do the most. And the really cool thing about all of this is that God really gives Gideon a gut check. He tells Gideon, am I not the one sending, sending you? And if you think back to the nation, as Matt has already said at that time, overrun by false idols, tons of different uh, personal pride matches going on, um, and the creator is willing, not only out of his love, but also out of his compassion, to be there for the chosen nation that has forgotten about him and is still willing to be there to deliver them. This next part is something that definitely would have had happened a lot sooner had it been me that was approached with this really daunting task. But God gives us this really cool ability that I don't think we ever really fully appreciate in that we are able to not only question but also doubt in God's plan. I can't think of many other... Uh, types of faith where you're called to question your faith. And it really just kind of shows itself in this next passage. Uh, 
Gideon is one of the few people that actually gets to have a spiritual and real encounter with God. And through this, the first thing that he does when he sees God is he calls him out, basically. Which is pretty bold if you ask me. But Gideon uh, says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon here, while he's in the presence of the Lord, calls him out. And I think this is really interesting to note that Gideon, the weakest in Manasseh, still has, and I think this is kind of what God was trying to show, Gideon still has enough courage to call out God, the creator. And when he does this, it kind of is a gut check to show that even though all of these things that have happened to the nation of Israel that are bad, all of these things, through all of these things, God is still willing to help his people and deliver his people. And so within that, we see, you know, this back and forth between Gideon and God, in which Gideon, you know, questions God's faithfulness. He questions uh, even God's power. You know, where have you been? Uh, Where are all these wonders and signs that you've done in the past? And within that, you know, he even questions his goodness. You know, do you really care about us? Are you with us? And if you are, then why are we like this? Why are we uh, overcome by the people of Midian? And and then quickly, you know, that shifts that Austin talks about. You know, he begins questioning himself. He begins questioning why you chose me. He speaks about his family. Um, You know, sometimes the minute we're chosen for something, we step into that comparison trap and we begin... Uh, looking at all the people around us and uh, comparing ourselves to others. And ultimately, you know, he doesn't believe in his ability uh, and he's learning uh, to believe in God's ability. And so in the next part of our passage, uh, we see, you know, God be very patient with Gideon as Gideon requests several signs. Um, You know, when I first read it, I thought, okay, Gideon requests two specific signs. Uh, But the more I read it, you know, you could even come up with maybe three or four uh, examples of which God is, um, you know, willing to indulge Gideon uh, as he learns more and more about him. So we'll keep reading in verse 17. Gideon replies to God, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and, and I'll set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And Gideon went inside, and he prepared a young goat from an ephah of flour, and he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket, its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hands, and fire flared from the rock consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And so we see this first uh, thing that Gideon asked of God, uh, this interaction with the altar here. Uh, And it really seems like Gideon uh, is starting to get it. Uh, after he witnesses uh, this fire, you know, that's put there by the tip of the staff, you know, he cries out and says, Alas, Sovereign Lord. And we see that, you know, maybe he's coming to an awareness that uh, God is who he says he is. And God 
uh, desires to do for the people of Israel, uh, what he said. Uh, but yet, even after this incredible encounter, uh, and God has told him uh, to embrace his peace, uh, even in the midst of what would have been a scary and uh, fearful encounter with the angel, uh, Gideon wants more. And so in verse 24, So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abirzites. And the same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of its height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. And so this seems like, you know, a reasonable request, uh, but God is asking Gideon to go to the next level uh, in his faith, uh, to, you know, take down uh, these altars to the idols. 27, it says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. And so we see, you know, Gideon slowly uh, beginning to uh, trust the Lord, but he's not all the way there. Uh, He's not willing to do it uh, in front of others yet. Verse 28. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was a There was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah poles beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die. He has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because God broke down Baal's altar, they gave so because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Now the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped along the valley Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abrazites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. And so here, you know, we've seen Gideon, you know, act act for God, remove the idols. You've seen Gideon's dad stand up for him uh, and kind of set this scene in which uh, those who are following Baal and those who are Uh, following God are at odds for each other and we're all expecting Gideon uh, now to rise uh, to the occasion Uh, but Gideon has another request in verse 36 Gideon said to God if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised look I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said And this is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, and there was a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me have just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Man, the first time, you know, when Austin and I started looking at this passage, it's kind of like, you know, there are some times in Scripture where 
You know, it seems like God doesn't give people a lot of leeway before, you know, they're ultimately called to be uh, the person he's called them to be or they're ultimately supposed to rise up uh, and do as he's told them to. Uh, But there's something about Gideon, right? There's something about Gideon that God is just bringing him along slowly uh, because he has a big task. Uh, He has a big task ahead of Gideon. And he keeps making Gideon ask himself the question, you know, can I really be who God wants me to be? And also ask the question, is God who he really is? And Austin's about uh, to to help us look at the rest of the passage, which is maybe most familiar uh, about the story of the river. But before we do that, I'd like to read uh, a quote from a commentary I saw this week that I think describes what's about to happen pretty well. It's from an author named Ruth Haley Barton. She says, In the process of transformation, the Spirit of God moves us from behaviors motivated by fear and self-protection to trust and abandonment to God, from selfishness and self-absorption to freely offering the gifts of the authentic self, from the ego's desperate attempts to control the outcome of our lives to an ability to give ourselves over to the will of God, which is often foolishness to the world. Right? He's continually moving us from wanting to be in control, uh, to trusting him fully to the point where everybody around us might think it's crazy to do the things we're willing to do and trust. And that's what the story is about to lead into. I think it's really important to note for this next section, especially when uh, what Matt has already said, um, the nation at this time was ravaged by its own self-interest, its own personal pride, and especially its use of idols that weren't God. Um, God in this section really wants the Israelites not to boast in themselves. He wants the Israelites to see that God is the ultimate one that is delivering them. Uh, Calling back to, yeah, uh, the hard part of all of this uh, in realizing all of this is one of my my dad's favorite verses in uh, James chapter 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We are called to thank God and appreciate not only the good moments that we go through, but also the bad, because the bad moments produce uh, steadfastness in our faith. And I feel like at this point, God is really trying to hammer home that throughout this section with the division of soldiers. Uh, Verse 3 of chapter 7 states, Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. God divides the men into a third to show how much he not only loved his people by sending home the men that were fearful and not making them fight, but also that God's might is ultimately what's going to be delivering them from their oppressors. God then uh, proposes another solution to the idea to send another group of men home to uh, keep the number down to only 300. Starting in verse 5, So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midians into your hand. Let the others go home. At first, when Matt and I uh, talked about this, my first reaction when I read through that passage was God was keeping the strongest of the warriors, the ones that were acting like animals, uh, to keep them so that way God could uh, 
have them go through the battle and have them win. And the more and more that Matt and I talked about this, uh, he threw out a really interesting point that really uh, made me think a lot, was what if God, instead of saving the strongest, maybe kept the not-so-smart guys? Um, if you look at it in this uh, aspect of things, I mean, it really furthermores the point of what Israel and their armies part. Like, it's not their... It's not their might that's helping them through the battle. It's God. And if you really think about what it would have been like when the not-so-smart guys came home, uh, the Israelites probably at that point would have seen them and been, well, if they could do it, they probably had some help. Uh, All of these situations as a whole really highlight how the most unlikely of people God uses to further his kingdom. Uh, You can think of this story. You can think of your own personal faith stories. I think a lot of us have had unlikely interactions where we've had to step up in faith. And if you think and use Gideon and you think about it, um, we were called to use that same level of courage that Gideon was. Uh, I want to tie all this together with a quote that Tara sent me. If you don't know Tara, that's my mom. Uh, Tara sent me this quote from Jim Whitaker, the first American to climb Mount Everest. He said, you never conquer a mountain, you conquer yourself, your hopes, and your fears. I think you can really take each individual part of that quote and apply it to this story and our own stories especially. You do the yourself part, you have Gideon, when he first had his encounter with God, he thought he was the weakest in the tribe, he thought he was the weakest in his family. And then he was able to overcome that. You think of your hopes. That could be the Israelites' hopes in their destiny, where they wanted to go in the future, where they thought they were going, and now where they are going to go with God. And then you think about your fears. Not only does that apply to Gideon, but that also applies to the army themselves. I mean, 22,000 men went home because they were afraid to fight this battle. And as Matt talks about in a little bit, they ultimately won that battle with only 300 men. And that in and of itself is just astonishing. You know, um, I haven't done this co-teaching thing very much. Uh, but what's interesting about it is you get to listen to the other person while you're up here. And as you are in the audience, you know, sometimes your mind will, you know, hit a certain idea based on uh, what the other person said. And as he was talking about uh, the people drinking out of the water, just, you know, lapping it up. And I was trying to think, you know, what might be a modern equivalent to that? And I think about each one of our mission trips, there's a certain set of kids that no matter where the chaperone is and no matter where the keys are, they're willing to go get in the hot van. You know, like, no matter how close you are or not, they're going to be there in the hot van. And so I'm thinking, like, if we were to really do this today, you know, God might say, you take the hot van kids on the mission (laughs) trip, right? You just go down there with them and you see what happens because, you know, ultimately God will be glorified uh, through the hot van kids. But, you know, no matter what uh, the situation is, you know, God... You know, sets things up to where the people of Israel recognize him. And if you have time tonight, go and read the battle. Read about, it's such a cool story, and and we don't have time to go through the battle, but read about it. Uh, And it's such a cool way in which God uh, delivers the people and does all the work uh, himself. But as we are closing tonight, a couple of things that uh, we'd love for you to take away. And the first is, you know, we're always working to uh, learn to see ourselves as God 
uh, sees us, uh, and we're constantly working through, you know, that inner battle that we have, uh, kind of like this quote speaks to. Uh, another idea that we liked is, uh, courage grows by replacing cynicism with hope and self-pity with trust, right? It can be really easy to be cynical about uh, the current situation that we find ourselves in sometimes. We can find ourselves in a mess, and it's really easy to blame uh, God for the situation that we're in. And, you know, when we really move from self-pity to trust, uh, we're then ready to be the disciples uh, that he's called us to be. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the confidence that we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Right? You know, it's this hope that allows us uh, to, you know, really be willing to uh, to step out there for God because we believe in, in who he says he is. Uh, and even though we don't have all the answers, uh, we're willing to follow it. And so, you know, discipleship uh, is truly always called to hope uh, and trust. And so tonight, you know, as you're thinking about, um, you know, what's going on in your own lives, as you're thinking about uh, maybe the messes that, that you're in and, and the struggles that you're faced with, um, you know, we can all be prayerful that, that God will give us uh, hope. And, and that's a process and that God will help us to trust him more. And that's a process. And it may look a lot like Gideon's process. It may not be very clean. Uh, it may take a while. Uh, but God has that patience to help us to uh, be the people that he's called us uh, to be. And so as we close, I'd like to offer a prayer for, for, for all the messes that are going on, but also for our kids as they're uh, going back to school. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, all the many wonderful blessings that you've given us. We thank you for a night this week that we can uh, be in your word. Uh, we ask that we, uh, that we learn from the story of Gideon and that we um, want to know you more, even though it's hard sometimes. And uh, we ask that you help us to see ourselves as you see us. Uh, we ask that you be with uh, each one of our students as they're uh, going back to school this week and that you'll uh, help them to have the courage to be the people that uh, you want them to be, and school's a tough place, and we ask that they will uh, be shining lights for you. Uh, we thank you most of all for your son. In his name we pray. Amen.